When Roslyn and I came to uh, live in this part of the world, we were a little uh, torn as to where we should worship. And uh, we tried St. Mary's. And we thought, well, uh, do I want to drive that far to church from the other end of Parksville? Well, we went once. And then one Sunday night, uh, under Peter's leadership, they were doing the purpose-driven life. And so Rosin and I, we set off, and it was pouring with rain. The highway was black. We had recently left the far north. And I looked at Rosin and said, I don't like this. I'm fast, I'd far sooner drive with snow and ice where I can see where I'm going. Well, we arrived at St. Mary's, and it was the last evening of the purpose-driven life. We went the following Sunday, and a very dear man, he and his wife are now with the Lord, uh, the Reverend Robinson and his wife, he looked at me and he said to me and to Rosalind, I knew you'd come back. Well, sometimes when we left church, actually quite frequently on a Sunday morning, we'd be still at the back of the church and people would say, what happened here this morning? What happened here this morning? The Spirit of God was so present in the worship, in the preaching, in the breaking of bread, in Holy Communion. The presence of God was tangible. Well, why do I say that? Because, as Richard, Rich, and Peter have already mentioned, yesterday was remarkable. And at one point, I just wanted to stand up and say, what is happening here? Ryan was truly anointed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. The hours that he had spent in preparation were so evident in his presentation. We were challenged. Challenged to think very seriously about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how focused are we in developing our devotional lives and becoming more and more focused on Jesus. It was indeed a gift from God. And I've said this to more than one person here, and I can say it because Ryan and Jackie aren't present now. I often say to Rosalind, what did we do in order to have Ryan come here as our pastor? He left a congregation of some seven or 800 people to come and join us. And I'll tell you, the evidence of Ryan and Jackie's ministry is beyond all human understanding. It is indeed a gift from God. And I want to weep sometimes when I think about what, how God has blessed us through that man and his wife's ministry. So let us pray. Oh God, our Father,
We are indeed blessed. We are privileged to be here today. To stand, to sit under the authority of your word. And I pray that the work that you have begun here will indeed continue. And that all of us, whatever our backgrounds may be, will rise to the challenge of proclaiming in word, indeed, in thought, that you are our risen Lord and Savior, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no person can come to you unless they come through you to the Father, for there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. And so thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that we have been saved by your so amazing grace. And now may our, our minds be open, our hearts enriched, through the proclamation of your good word. And with all my inadequacies and all my failings, may I do nothing but honor you by lifting up your name. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. I rarely say this because it can minimize the impact of a sermon. It can cause people to say, well, why is he stood there saying what he's saying? When Ryan invited me to preach today, he asked me to continue in Matthew's Gospel, the remaining verses, verses 40 to 42. And as you know, over the past few weeks, Ryan has been preaching and teaching about Jesus' ethics, ethic for evangelism from Matthew's Gospel. It has been challenging, it has been stimulating, and it has been, indeed, a challenge for myself. And I hope for all those of you who have been listening attentively to those sermons to be much more intentional how we go about living as disciples of Jesus Christ in a world that is so alienated from the good news of the gospel. As you all know, ethics is a very big and a very broad subject. Ethics is a subject that can divide, it can unite people, depending what the issue is, that we are discovering. Basically, I believe that ethics deals basically with the way we live, how we behave, and how we relate to people. And that is important for us as Christians. How we live. 
Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer, who's been dead many years, was an apologist, a Christian apologist, a brilliant academic, and a man who had a remarkable gift from bringing the gospel from the halls of academia down to ordinary, basic people like myself. And I will never forget, as a student studying in seminary for the ministry, hearing Francis Schaeffer address theological students from across the city of London in England on presenting presenting the gospel. And his immediate introduction shocked all of us who were there because he picked up a tabloid newspaper called The Sun. He opened the front page, and there on the second page was the picture of a very attractive young lady dressed in nothing. And that was always the feature of The Sun newspaper. He waited for a moment for the response, and I think all he could see was sheer amazement How could he, a Christian, a Christian apologist, begin addressing seminarians with this? And then he said, do you realize that the majority of people that you are going to be preaching the gospel to are the people who pick up and read the tabloid newspapers? And I've never forgotten that. Every Sunday in this this congregation, before the blessing, we are dismissed with the words of the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We do not go, we do not stand alone, for if we take these words to heart, we are enabled and strengthened and empowered with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we have a challenge. It is to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what are we to do? We are to teach them to observe all that I, Jesus, have commanded you, and I am with you. I am with you to the end of the age. We are commissioned. We are sent out with a very specific task, and that is to baptize, it is to teach, it is the task of making disciples for Jesus, irrespective of what the cost may be. You may be saying to yourself, or maybe you say to yourselves each Sunday, really? I am being called and challenged to do that. I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been to seminary. I'm not particularly bright. 
It doesn't matter what your social, economic, educational, social background is. If you are a Christian, you are commissioned, you are sent by Jesus to be a vibrant, radiant testimony to the eternal truths of the gospel. And you know, as well as I do, that the gospel means good news. And we have a responsibility that we cannot deny, that we cannot shirk. We are gospel people. We have a profound message of good news. And that message needs to be lived out in the words we speak, in the thoughts that we have, and in the deeds that we do. Irrespective of the response that we will receive to the Christian message. And let us make no doubt about it, that we are living in dangerous and perilous times. We are living in times when there are so many who have no interest in the Christian gospel, in the Christian faith at all. And so, how does this relate to our text of Scripture this morning? The heading above the Scripture in my verse is, re is rewards. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. When you are living your life as a Christian, when you have the opportunity to verbalize your faith, do we expect to be heard? Do we automatically expect a positive response? I think it's fair to say that when we are engaged in a discussion or a debate over contemporary issues, whatever that issue may be, that we will not always receive a positive response. Because often, as people who have the courage to name the name of Christ, people who have the courage to stand for what they believe as Christians will often be looked upon as being the peculiar ones. Oh, he or she is one of those funny people. Whoever receives me, receives you, receives me. Jesus was asked a question. We read of this story in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, when a young man who was affluent, who needed nothing that materially this world could offer him, he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We could rephrase that and paraphrase it and say, what must I do to become a Christian? 
And that is an important question. An important question that all of us who name the name of Christ ought to be able to answer without any hesitation, without any reluctance, or any embarrassment at all. And Jesus looked at him and said, I want you to sell what you have and give it to the poor. This young man, he was religious. He observed the commandments. He was probably living an impeccable life. He was probably generous. We don't know. But what we do know is that the young man walked away sorrowful. Why? Because, because he couldn't face up to the challenge that Jesus placed before him. The question is, how would I have responded to a situation like that? Would I have been aggressive? Would I have been pushy? Would I have opened my Bible and said, these are the consequences for turning away from Jesus? What we do read is this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. What do we note here? Jesus felt the grief, pain, and the sorrow because this young man, he chose to walk away because he couldn't face up to the responsibility of doing what Jesus requested of him. But what we do see here also is that there is a lot of a depth of understanding from Jesus. There was gentleness. There was compassion. There was respect. There was no condemning him. There was no judging him. There was no pleading with him. There was nothing aggressive in how Jesus responded to this young man. He couldn't face up to the challenge of Christian discipleship. He walked away. He could not receive the gift of new life that Jesus was offering him. No condemnation. No judging. Consider the woman at the well in John's Gospel. A story that I read. A story that challenges me. Here was a woman whose life was less than reputable. She'd been married several times. She was lonely. She was isolated from family and friends. She needed, she cried out, wanting to be loved. She came to that well. And she had a remarkable encounter with a person she had never met before, a person she didn't know. And a conversation began because Jesus asked for a drink of water. Me, a woman, and you're asking me? 
Jesus looked at her, and Jesus saw there was a need in that woman's life. He knew all about her. And later on in the story, she tells people, he knew everything about me. She couldn't get back to her village fast enough. She became an evangelist. She told people that she'd met someone who knew all about her at this well. And what impacts my life about this story is that Jesus did not judge her. Jesus did not condemn her. But he reached out with love, with grace, with kindness. He did not hold her down and preach a powerful, dramatic sermon to her. It was how he behaved in her presence. It was how he spoke to her. And from his life, there flowed caring, caring and love. And this spoke to this woman's life. It spoke to her heart. It spoke to that place where she needed transformation. The message of Jesus was radical. The message of Jesus continues to be radical today. The message of Jesus was profoundly disturbing. And it is profoundly disturbing today. And yet, we see in the life of Jesus an outpouring of grace to so many, many people. Oh, he challenged the religious authorities of his day. He called them hypocrites. He, he told them that they were basically undermining the foundations of the Jewish law and of how it, pro, pro, of how it foretold of the coming Messiah. But Jesus always loved. From his life flowed grace to Jew and Gentile, to friend and foe. We see grace in how Jesus spoke, in how Jesus behaved, in how Jesus responded to people. And people were impacted by his so amazing life. And we see this throughout the Acts of the Apostles in the lives of those men who were commissioned by Jesus, who were sent by Jesus. They weren't proclaiming a gospel story that was all about them. It was all about Jesus. Whoever receives me, and whoever, receive, whoever receives you receives me, whoever receives you receives the one who sent you. The woman at the well, she received his message, but she received transformation of life. The apostles, they went into the highways and the byways. They faced ridicule. They faced persecution. They often faced death. They faced hostility. But as they spoke about Jesus, 
They spoke with grace. They spoke with compassion. Or they spoke with authority. When they were told to stop preaching and speaking about Jesus, Peter and John said, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They were not men of judgment. They were not men of condemnation. They reflected the life of Jesus. There was the ethic of love, the ethic of grace. And as their message was received, as they were received, as they were welcomed, so people were welcoming and receiving Jesus. There were many who began the pilgrim journey of traveling with Jesus. There was no sledgehammer evangelism. There was no holding people down and forcing artificial conversion. They were men with a message. They were men on a mission. And grace was overflowing from their lives. And we have to recognize, we have to acknowledge that when we speak of Jesus, when we live out our Christian lives, and we live lives that are an example for Jesus, we will not always be appreciated. We will not always be welcomed. But the love of Christ must shine through us, even in the most difficult and challenging situations. Jesus said, and he continues to echo those words through the gospel today, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Does the light of Jesus always shine from our lives? Do people see Jesus in us that they want what we have to offer them? Do they receive or do they feel a sense of rejection? Do they see an evidence grace flowing from our lives? When I go into a coffee shop and someone inadvertently brushes past me and the coffee spills on the floor, what is my reaction? Or when I'm going into a theater and I want the best seats, do I rush and push past people in order that I can get the prime seat that I know is there and is just waiting for me? Or if someone cuts me off at an intersection, how do I respond? Do I give them the finger? Do I roll my window down and shout some abusive words? Or do I reflect the life of Jesus? Do people find an attraction to Jesus because of how I live? Are people not receiving Jesus because of how I live? I know there are times 
when I have failed. And I will continue to fail when that person nudges me and the coffee goes on the floor or that person crosses me at the intersection. Whatever the situation may be, am I quick to realize that if my behavior is not according to the teaching and life of Jesus, I might cause that people, that person, to have no interest in the good news of the Lord Jesus. One of the crowning examples of how we ought to respond if people are to welcome Jesus is the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. You probably know the story as well as I do. He preached a powerful sermon. It was a sermon that was disturbing. It was a sermon that was radical. He was uncompromising in what he said. He annoyed the religious leaders of his day. They stirred up the people. They threw stones at him. They persecuted him. It was brutal. It was overwhelming. He lay on the ground, bleeding and suffering, bruised and battered. And how did Stephen respond? There was no anger. There was no judgment. There's no, why are you doing this to me? Rather, falling on his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. How evident is Christ in me? How real is Christ in me? How evident and real is Christ in you? John Stott had this to say, it is enough to note how brightly Stephen's tranquil faith shines against the dark background of Saul's murderous agony. Stephen's martyrdom supplemented the influence of his teaching. I hope and I pray that my life impacts the lives of other people for Jesus. But then, Jesus goes on to say, the one who receives, the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. A prophet. The prophets we read of in the Old Testament over and over again. The word basically means a messenger. They were not always welcomed. Their message was certainly not always received. Read the story of Jeremiah, a man who labored for decades, facing imprisonment, facing persecution, at times arguing with God as to why he should suffer as he did. And yet, he never failed to fulfill the call of God upon his life. Think of Nehemiah when he went back to assist in the buildings of the walls of Jerusalem. Opposition, the threat to his life, but he was relentless and the wall was built. And we have that great cry, 
The joy of the Lord is my strength. We could go on and on retelling of how these prophets, of how these men and often women of God were faithful in fulfilling the challenge that God had placed upon them. But they never relented. They never surrendered. They were faithful even unto death. They were men and women who spoke with authority. They spoke also with compassion because they had a burden for God's people to return to him. But there were those who welcomed the prophets. And a wonderful story is in 1 Kings chapter 17. It's the story and the testimony of the widow of Zarephath. She was poor. She was a woman who lived in poverty. It was a struggle to make ends meet. And Elijah comes and he challenges her to bake some bread because he wanted to eat. He was hungry. She had barely enough to feed herself or her son. But she was obedient to what Elijah was asking of her. And she baked the bread. There was more than enough. She welcomed the servant of God. And her life was blessed. But then her son died. And she accused Elijah. Why has this happened? She welcomed him. Elijah took her son. He laid upon him and he prayed. And the son was restored to life. And that woman cried out, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. I wonder, do people see the presence of God in our lives? Are people welcoming us as this widow welcomed Elijah, a prophet of God, a man who experienced crises and crises in his own life, but he remained faithful. And then Jesus speaks of the righteous person. A righteous, because he is a righteous person, he will receive a righteous person's reward. We're not talking about rewards of material wealth or prosperity. But I believe we are, Jesus is referring to people who are living lives that are, that are challenging and demonstrating his own life. Yes, sometimes it can be difficult to live a righteous, godly Christian life. But the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his prison epistles, the book of Philippians, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul knew imprisonment. Paul knew persecution like many of the other apostles. They received a reward, not only of the promise of eternal life, in their suffering, in their sorrow, in their pain, in their joy, they received comfort when abused, when they were rejected and mocked for being Christians. And even when we are inclined to doubt and question deeply held beliefs, remember that when we are faithful, 
we need to encourage all Christians to hold on. We are encouraged to hold on and not to surrender what we know to be true. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And because we hold on, there will be those who will receive Christ. There will be those who Ill will be open to the gospel. Remember, Jesus, when he hung, out, hung on that cross, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He hung on that cross in pain unimaginable for me to understand. And yet, he did not surrender. A thief on his side asked to be remembered in paradise. And Jesus said, today you will be in paradise with me. With me. Such was the example of Jesus' suffering on that cross. One of the centurions cried out, Surely this man is the Son of God. Even from the cross there flowed compassion, grace for whomsoever would believe. And at the foot of the cross, I believe that there were those who opened their lives to Christ as they saw the sinless Savior suffering for them. Whoever gives a cup of cold water because he is a disciple will not lose his reward. A cup of cold water to a child, a cup of cold water to whomsoever, regardless of culture, abilities, we must demonstrate to the youngest, to the oldest, and all in between the transforming love of Jesus that people will open their lives to him and receive his life into themselves. We are called to love as Jesus first loved us. We are called to be partners in mission and ministry. Remembering the command of Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we will go from here today, I encourage all of you, to take to heart the ethics of Jesus for evangelism in the affairs of everyday life by keeping your focus on Jesus, on the message of the cross, to live in daily fellowship with Jesus and to grow in grace as you serve him. Christ today is reigning in heaven. One day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, that fa God the Father. And until that glorious and awesome day comes, he has commissioned all of us with the task of living out the truths of the gospel 
to all people in how we speak, in how we behave, in how we respond to people, especially those we are not particularly fond of associating with. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh God, our Father, we thank you that we are called to live as your people to proclaim the good news of your gospel. And we pray that in the ways we live, people will receive you and have the joy of knowing the miraculous presence of your life within them. Amen.